Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. We're here with Katie Goulis. This week, we have a magnificent feast day, which is shared by both lungs of the church, east and west. It's the feast of St. Peter and Paul. And this feast day is actually kind of significant in terms of the message or the theme of this program, Light of the East. What we do in this program is we try to communicate the riches of the church, east and west, Primarily, of course, in the Eastern churches. In other words, how is the Eastern lung of the church, as John Paul II referred to us, how is the Eastern lung of the church a gift to the Western lung and vice versa? Also, a gift to the whole world. But for our purposes today, how are we a gift to each other? In other words, how do the two sides of the church, East and West, complement each other? It's a lot like brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters have a way of kind of keeping each other honest, as it were. They love each other, and they have a union with each other, of course, because they come from the same family, they're siblings. But at the same time, they have a way of keeping each other honest. And that's what we're going to do today in Light of the East. We're going to have the two sides of the church, East and West, sort of keep each other honest, as it were. In other words, we're going to look at how they are a gift to each other, and also how they can kind of call out from one another the best of themselves. Because that's part of the gift of this complementarity in the church. And I think the figures of Peter and Paul have a very particular setting that could be helpful for us in this regard. Because if you recall, what happened was, way at the beginning of Christianity, when Peter and Paul were merging as leaders, especially Peter, they had a council, Council of Jerusalem. And we can read about this in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15. And at this council, Peter presided, actually, which is one of the things that points to the fact that he would eventually become the prime apostle and that Rome would eventually become the first among equals, as it were, in a special, special place in the church. 
And at this council, what he did was he helped to decide an issue that was kind of burning at the time. That issue was, do the Jewish Christians, in other words, those who were Jewish and who became followers of Christ, did they have to still comply with the letter of the law from the Old Testament? Things like dietary laws and circumcision, things that were always in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Did they, and also especially those converts to Christianity, whether they were pagan or Jewish, did they all have to then follow at the same time the Mosaic law? Now, this is quite a controversy, quite a, a really a kind of an initial kind of decision that they had to make in the early church. Well, Peter presided over this council, and it was decided that it was not something that any convert should be held to. The Mosaic law was not something that either Jewish or pagan converts should be held to. But what happened, though, Peter himself became a little hypocritical in that, and St. Paul had to take him to task. We read in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, this is in chapter 2, where he says this, beginning in verse 11, And when Cephas, meaning Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he clearly was wrong. For until some people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to draw back and separate himself because he was afraid of the circumcised. And the rest of the Jews also acted hypocritically along with him, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not on the right road in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all, If you, though a Jew, are living like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live? like Jews. So what happened was Paul had to correct Peter, believe it or not, had to call him to a greater authenticity. What was happening was Peter, of course, coming from the Judaic law, the Judaic tradition, and himself obviously being a follower of Christ, was adhering to the old Mosaic laws of diet and circumcision and so on whenever Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem. In other words, at that time from headquarters. Headquarters wasn't in Rome yet. It was in Jerusalem. And so he was afraid that if he was caught eating with Gentiles or eating according to their dietary laws or lack of them, that he would be excoriated by his own people. And yet at the same time, he helped to decide the fact that these dietary laws were no longer necessary. Now with the New Testament, the new covenant of Christ. And so Paul had to kind of take him to task as well as the other apostles, as you just heard in the epistle to the Galatians. Now what's interesting about this is we see the two figures in the church, the two pillars of the early church, Peter and Paul, brothers in the Lord, the great, great titans of early Christianity, supporting at the same time, calling out from each other the best of each other. And that seems to be very much the character, the history of the church. It's that way in a family between brothers and brothers and sisters. And so it is in the church today. So when we look at the churches both east and west, we look at each other in terms of their riches. Oftentimes I'm asked, Father Tom, what do you think of the Roman Catholic Church? What do you think of their riches? What do you think their significance is in relation to the Eastern Church? And vice versa. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to use some help from an article we found by a deacon. And also, we're going to ask our good friend here, Katie Goulis, what her thoughts are on that. Because Katie, you have experience both in the East and Western churches. And if as you look at both lungs of the church, East and West, what are your thoughts in terms of the, the gifts from the West but also what you'd like to see from the West as a Byzantine Catholic. Now, you're an Eastern Catholic who has had experience in the Roman Church. What would you like to see? What, is the, what are the gifts? What are the things you'd like to see kind of calling them out? Well, you're right. 
Father Tom, I went to a Roman Catholic grade school for 11 years. And then when I went to college, I lived at the Catholic dorm. So I've kind of seen the best of both worlds as it was. You know, I've lived as a Byzantine Catholic amongst many, many Roman Catholics for pretty much my entire life. I think one of the the beauties of the Roman Catholic Church is just like how universal they are. I mean, Eastern Catholics are to an extent too, but I really feel like, you know, the Roman Catholic Church has done such a great job in permeating just, you know, everywhere. They've mm-hmm. gone out and they've evangelized a little bit more effectively than we have. Sometimes I think we tend to keep to ourselves a little bit more. So I think that's one thing that Roman Catholics and even other uh, denominations can can be a gift to us. But I think maybe one of the things the Roman Catholic Church could work on maybe a little bit is um, educating their youth about Eastern Catholicism and Mm -hmm. Eastern Christianity. Because, you know, I was the only Byzantine Catholic kid Mm -hmm. in my grade school. And I mean, there's not many of us, but nobody knew who we were. Nobody knew Mm -hmm. anything about us. And even in our religion textbooks, there might be a paragraph or a page about orthodoxy, but certainly nothing about Eastern Catholicism. So people just didn't really know we existed. And people even were like, oh, well, you're the the goofy kind of Catholic. And they said Mm -hmm. it jokingly and not in Mm -hmm. a mean way or anything. But even when I went to college, people were like, oh, we've heard about you, but we've never met anyone like you before. It was like, (laughs) we're this great, like mythical... They never saw it with with that third eye in the middle of their forehead. Right, Right, yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, (laughs) I mean, like I said, it wasn't until I took a college-level Catholic catechism class that they actually taught for, it was like a week long, about the the Eastern Catholic churches and everything. Mm -hmm. And even then, my professor said that he thought that I was the first Byzantine Catholic student he'd ever had in his class. I mean, this is at a secular university, but still. Yes. Um, so we were quite a rarity to them. And a lot of my friends would ask me questions because, I mean, they didn't really ever seem to to be taught about that. And so so me being there was kind of a good way for them to learn and ask them questions. Yes, you see, one of the things we often teach on our program here, like the Eats, is that our genius, our crown, is at the same time can be our cross. Or our, or our weakness. So the great genius, as you said, uh, Katie, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Western Catholic Church, is its is its huge size and its universality. You know, with one visible head. It's kind of a pyramidal type of ecclesiology, where ultimately everything comes together with that one single visible head in the Pope. And it's amazing how the West is able to do that. They have a, especially for us Easterners, that we find out to be amazing. <laughs> They're able to unify and bring together so many differences, different kind of expressions into one visible head and one sort of universal church. At the same time, because of that, that again, that's their genius, there's a tendency to see themselves or the Latin rite, the Roman Catholic, as the only way to be Catholic because the others are just so seemingly small and spread out in comparison to their very universal and unified ecclesiology. So yes, there is definitely a call. We as the, in the Eastern Church say to the Western Church, our Western brethren, again, brothers and sisters, keeping each other honest today, look down a little bit, or look around a little bit more and realize that although it may be smaller, you know, bigger is not always better. Small can actually be very, very significant, very powerful. And so we need to notice more so the smaller and more spread out, yet no less significant Eastern churches 
or in full communion with the Pope of Rome, which make up the whole Catholic Church, East and West. We're going to talk more about keeping each other honest and also each other's gifts when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya here as we look towards the feasts of Saints Peter and Paul together, East and West. I'm accompanied, of course, by Katie Goulis on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest. This year's fest features a 5K run, beanbag tournament, and trivia contest. Experience the reverential awe of our church interior and take a meditative walk for our award-winning landscape. Prairie Fest. No admission charge. Prairie Fest kicks off at 7, Friday evening, August 12th, with music by the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Then Saturday, August 13th at 2.30, the U of I Guys Band, playing your favorite hits. Later, at 7, the fabulous Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Sunday, August 14th at 11.30 a.m., Polka with Eddie Blazonczyk's Versatones on their farewell tour. Oh, how I miss you. Followed by Harvest Moon at 3. Prairie Fest, $5,000 grand prize raffle. Details at ByzantineCatholic.com on the events page. Friday through Sunday, August 12th through the 14th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. To find out how you can obtain a copy of the Theosis CD, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. The Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, the Osis CD. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer here with Katie Goulis. And I'd like to remind you, in August, if you want to have a really good time and see something environmental, see something beautiful, in other words, a church, I recommend that you come out to our Prairie Fest, August 12th to the 14th. That's in Homer Glen at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. We're going to have music, live music, solid live music, right, Katie? From Friday night till all the way till through Sunday. Almost non-stop live music, a lot of great bands, a lot of great music, great food, ethnic food. We get tours of the church, tours of our award-winning prairie environmental design. We have games for kids and just a great time. It's all under a tent. It's outside in our beautiful atmosphere. So come on out. Come on down to 
come on out to Prairie Fest, August 12th to the 14th. Now, that's a Friday to Sunday, August 12th to the 14th. It leads right up to the Great Feast of the Dormition, or the Assumption. find out more information, just go to our website, ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. We're talking about the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which is shared by the Church East and West. And now that's kind of giving us a setting to look at each other East and West as brothers and sisters, as Peter and Paul did when they even had some disagreements and kind of called each other out, as it were, called each other out to become the best versions of themselves. Now, this feast, as I mentioned, is shared by East and West, and it has a long history to it. It was established on June 29th, a long time ago, in the Western Church. In the Eastern Church, interesting enough, they celebrate and observe the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul on December 28th, originally, which was right after the Feast of St. Stephen, the first martyr, on December 27th. I guess they saw a continuity in the East between the first martyr and then those other two very early martyrs were pillars of the church, Peter and Paul. But later on, the East actually joined with the West and established, this is about in the 6th century, they established the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul on June 29th. So we celebrate it together. But leading up to this feast in the Eastern Church, as is always the case, there is a period of fasting. Now this period of fasting can vary, but primarily what happens is it's set a week after Pentecost. So in the Eastern Church, Pentecost, of course, is a great celebration, so there's no fasting. And the great fathers of the church prescribed that there would be no fasting from Pentecost till the next week. Now, there was a full week of celebration. But in the words of a great Byzantine liturgist of the 15th century, his name was St. Simeon of Thessalonica, he said this, After the descent of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, we, according to the apostolic constitutions ascribed to St. Clement of Rome, still rejoice for one week, and then we start fasting again, as not to be spoiled by excessive pleasure. At the same time, by our fasting, we honor the apostles who taught us how to fast. And again, this is a quote from Archbishop Simeon of Thessalonica, a great Byzantine liturgist in the 15th century. Very typical of the Eastern Church. We sort of always combine the celebration with the fasting. We, we pray hard, and we play hard, and we fast hard, don't we, Katie? Whatever we do, we do very thoroughly, very hard. So the week after Pentecost is a week of celebration, no fasting, but then we fast after that in preparation for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Now, fasting also goes along with other penitential practices, such as going to confession. See, the fast of Saints Peter and Paul, sometimes called Petrovka, or Peter's fast, is a fast like the preparation before Christmas in the Eastern Church, the preparation before the Feast of the Assumption or the Dormition, which is coming up in August, and also Easter itself. In other words, all major feast days in the church, especially in the Eastern Church, are preceded by a penitential period, which includes fasting. Usually it means Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We abstain from meat and dairy products, increased prayer, and also going to confession. And then we come to the celebration itself, the feast day, and usually there's what we call a post-festive. So we sort of party, as it were, in a holy way, several days later. So we fast, we come to the high point of the feast itself, we do some partying, and then we return back to normal time. It's kind of like this bell curve, as it were. There's this rising action, this climactic moment, and then this sort of like gentle falling action. That's kind of the, the Byzantine rhythm, as it were, of feast days and fasts. But as I mentioned, this sets the groundwork for us to look at each other east and west. And we came across an interesting article written by a deacon who is himself a journalist. And since Katie is our resident journalist here, she's going to share that article with us because I think it also helps in our discussion today about keeping each other honest. All right, Father Tom, the article is written by Deacon 
Greg Condra, and it's called Smacking You Into Sainthood. And basically, I won't read the whole thing, but in the beginning of the article, he's reminiscing about his own confirmation. And in the Roman Catholic Church, when they were confirmed, the chrism was placed on their head, and then the archbishop would give them a little smack. And he he writes about how nowadays, when a an 11 or 12 year old or you know junior high student is confirmed they don't receive a smack anymore from a bishop or an archbishop they receive a shake of the hand and um i'll read a little paragraph of what he says he mm-hmm. says somewhere along the way the church lost a sense of severity of seriousness of well sin our pulpits became lecterns our pews became chairs and a slap evolved into a handshake we replaced come holy ghost with whatsoever you do and decided to stand instead of kneel. The ominous chords of organs were replaced by the plucking strings of guitars. We designed our churches to have round corners and low altars. We scrapped the habits and unbuttoned the collars and made everything endearingly approachable and utterly bland. What happened? I'm sure it seemed healthy and constructive at the time, but I can't escape the feeling that, in the midst of it all, we surrendered something vital and valuable. We lost a sense of sacred awe. We lost that sense of being a part of something greater than ourselves, something with weight and volume, something with shadows as well as light, something that entailed suffering and hardship and the occasional stinging slap. As a result, We tend to take nothing as seriously anymore. Our sacraments have become sideshows. And in the very end, he says, we need to reclaim a sense of mystery. Yeah, it was it was a rather colorful article, I thought, Katie. And he described that handshake instead of a smack in a rather interesting way. Right. He said the handshake is more of a congratulatory gesture. And it seems to say, welcome to the club and have a nice day. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's... Yeah, so this is one of the things I think he articulates how we would, as Easterners, would look at the Latin Rite Church today and, and sort of call it forward, call it out to really return. And it's, this is always, whenever we call each other out, East and West, really what it's about, it's calling each other to return to our best, authentic, and oftentimes original selves. You know, not all things that happen in the church over time are necessarily good or, or meant by the Holy Spirit. The church goes through, especially during times of change, such as after the Second Vatican Council, it always goes through a certain sort of eh, turmoil or confusion until things sort of settle down, iron out, and become as they were meant to be. And the church works in eons of time. So even though we're only several decades after the close of the Second Vatican Council, we're just starting now to maybe kind of start to do and realize what the council was really saying and maybe looking at some of the things that passed for the spirit of the council, but really weren't what the council was saying. And this would be one of them. It's the loss of the sacred, the loss of the mystical, the loss of the transcendent that has happened in the West. And also the loss of the sense of, in fact, I think, Katie, that in the Latin Rite Church, and it still is true, the theology of chrismation that the deacon's talking about, that sacrament, did have a kind of a, almost like a call to battle to it. You know, you were being called to be a soldier of Christ. And I don't think that that has actually disappeared, even though it's been kind of de-emphasized. The theology itself, it still remains, that aspect of it. Yes, other aspects have been emphasized, such as... Father Tom, the author of the article even said that one of the nuns in their school said, it's a sign, they intoned, of the suffering we must endure as Christians. In other words, get used to it. 
There's more where that came from. <laughs> and he had a great description of that nun, too. Yeah. He said that the nuns were the, from the Sisters of St. Joseph and that they were no slouches in the slapping department, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, here we are as Easterners looking at our Latinite brethren, whom we love and whose riches and genius we certainly admire and have benefited from. Now, how would they see us? And maybe it's a little unfair because we don't have a Latin right person here in the studio at the moment, but I can maybe articulate what some of them would say to us as Easterners. They would look at us and they would admire us for our mystical spirituality, our liturgy, our sense of the sacred, you know, the awesomeness of God. But at the same time, and they have said this to me, and rightfully so, they would say, well, you know, you want us to know more about you, but at the same time, you have a tendency in the East to kind of against what it says in the scripture, kind of keep your light hidden, sort of keep it under a basket, as it were. We don't really go out beyond ourselves as, as much as we ought to. If we've got something very wonderful to sell, as it were, quote-unquote, why aren't we making it more known? And I think this is a really well-founded calling out of the Eastern Church by our brethren in the West. And we do take that seriously, and it's hopefully we are responding to that on this program. And I want to thank you for listening to this program. I am Father Thomas Loya, here with Katie Gullis on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again, hear it again, hear it again, hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.